Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? It's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the green sciences. And as always, my dearest friends, I am so excited, so very excited to be with you today. Y'all, it has been far too long since I've gotten to say that, like six months, maybe more. I don't know. It's been quite a while. And I do owe you an explanation for that if you're a long-term listener. Uh, if you're new, this is as good a place to start as any. And as far as you know, I never took a break at all. So welcome back from last week or today or whenever you're listening. Y'all, this one's going to be a little bit different. I'm trying some new things with the podcast as we sort of get back into it and get it rolling again. And this officially, officially is episode 100. Episode 100. Y'all, I started the show in... 2019 in what November of 2019 I think the first real episode came out 2019 in November and so it's been over four years like like four years and change and it's just incredible how many cool people I have gotten to meet and how much I've gotten to do as a result of this show and I'm just so excited that we get to do it again and that we're trying new stuff. If you are listening on your normal favorite podcast device, welcome back. I'm glad to be in your earphones or in your car speakers once more. Uh, but now we're going to add a video element to this podcast. So you may be watching this on YouTube. You may be watching clips on social media of the show. I don't know. I'm just trying some new stuff. We're going to see how it goes. The reason I'm doing video now is we've got some really, 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 really very exciting guests coming up. I'm probably not going to video every episode. I'll do quite a few of them, but I don't know. I just, I wanted to try something new and I hope that you will bear with me as I figure it out. I don't really know how to look at the camera for this. I do tons of social media and stare at my phone all the time, but this is a very different ordeal. So if you're watching online, if you're seeing my mouth move, I'll get better at this. If you're listening, uh, feel free to disregard the last 30 or 40 seconds. Um, but I was trying to decide what to do for episode 100. And I, I've got some great guests coming up. I've got, I think, five recordings scheduled in the next three or four weeks. And actually more than that. And I'm really excited. But one thing I've never gotten to do a full episode about because I was I took a hiatus as it was sort of all happening and coming out is I want to discuss my book, Plants to the Rescue, that uh, came out in July of 2023. So as you listen to this, it's been out actually about six months. And I just wanted to reflect on the experience of writing this book and what the process looked like, how I came up with the ideas, and just what that looked like and what it means, I think, for the way that I'm approaching science communication in my life and approaching even parts of my career because it's fundamentally changed the way I think about some things. And also, I'm very proud of this book. I'm very proud of this book and I want you to maybe be excited about it too. I wanted you to hear a little bit more about it. So we're going to talk about Plants to the Rescue today and I'm going to play some music at you. We're going to come back and talk about publishing and talk about talking to kids about plants. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Let's talk some more.
All right, we're back. So, first off, I do owe you an explanation, I think, especially if you've been someone who has been with me since the beginning. And, and there are kind of a lot of you. I, I, yeah, I posted on social media a couple of days ago that um, I was about to start recording, doing this again. I posted a picture of my new setup in here, which you can kind of see I'm in a new office. I've had some career and life changes recently, which I'll talk about in a uh, in here in a minute. But people were excited. Like, that, what, what's that about? I'm glad you like listening. I'm glad that you've stuck with me through all of this. If, if you're keeping score, it's been about seven months or six and a half months since I put out an episode. I released a great interview with Sarah Sutherland, who is the absolute genius behind the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Social Media. And if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. It's episode 99. It's so good. It's so good. And I was like, I'm going to take this is a great point to kind of like put a pin in it for a minute. I was going to take the summer off and like get through July and August because I was doing some travel from work and some other things. So I was going to start right at the beginning of the semester. And about three days before the semester started, we had some staffing changes at my university. I ended up with two extra classes that I had not planned on, as well as some other stuff that I ended up having to do sort of last minute. And because of that, I just did not have the time or the bandwidth to record this show. Um, and I really in some ways regret that. Like I wish I had had the time to do it, but it was a good opportunity for me to reset a little bit. I've been doing this every week or every other week, more or less for four years and it gets to be a lot. So I've kind of stepped back and reevaluated how I want to approach the show. We'll talk at the end of the episode about what the future of planthropology looks like, but it's coming back probably every other week ish. And, um, I'm just really excited about where it's going. But again, as I was thinking about what to discuss for today's episode, I, maybe it's a shameless plug. Maybe it is shameless self-promotion. And if you know me, I'm, that's my only skill is shameless self-promotion. I wanted to talk about Plants of the Rescue. Um, this has been such a labor of love for me over the past couple of years in terms of the writing of the book, the promotion of the book, everything else. And it's something that I'm genuinely proud of. And also, if you know me, you know that's not something I say lightly or lightly. You know that's not something I say lightly because I am rarely, if we're being very honest, proud of myself. And this is something that means a lot to me. So if you don't know, Plants to the Rescue is a nonfiction kids book that I wrote. And it's uh, titled The Plants, Trees, and Fungi. Yes, I cheated a little bit. They're solving some of the world's biggest problems. And it's about things like the climate crisis, about pollution in our environment, about hunger and food supply. But it's also a hopeful take, I think, I hope, I want it to be, on what the future of plant science and natural science look like. We discuss a lot of maybe partially speculative science things. I don't think most of them are because there are data and there are articles about what's happening in all these different fields. But we talk about current technology and how it's helping us face our issues as well as future technology and what future may, technology may look like and how us integrating plants more and more into our lives again can help with climate change and help with a lot of the things that we struggle with as a global society as a species right so i was approached about this book actually thanks to you folks in some ways um a, an editor, um, Sam, who is just the best guy, 
<laughs> just he's been so good to work with from neon squid reached out to me in March. I want to say February, March of uh, 2022. So a couple of years ago, almost two years ago now. Wow. That's a little upsetting. <laughs> it's been almost two years already, but he reached out and uh, said, Hey, we found the podcast. We listened to Planthropology. We found some of your social media stuff, which again, y'all have promoted and y'all have been out there telling the good word of Planthropology and um, said, we've got an idea for a book and we're looking for an author to contract with. Would you be interested in doing it? And I've missed the first email because of course I did. That's how my life goes. And thank goodness Sam had the grace to follow up a couple of weeks later and say, hey, you know, I... I hope that you saw it. I, you know, I hope that you're interested. And I was like, oh my goodness, yes, absolutely, I am. I've wanted to write a book since I was probably, I don't know, in junior high. I grew up reading like voraciously um, as a kid, as a teenager, even through college. It's it wasn't really till grad school that I shifted the things I read from fun stuff to journal articles and textbooks and stuff, and my brain decided to start dissolving as grad school will do if you have been to grad school. But this opportunity was not necessarily something I was looking for. And it's not how I saw myself or anticipated writing a book. I think I always wanted to be a fiction or science fiction author. Um, but my son, Bradley, who, if you go back and if you've been a longtime friend of the show, you have heard his little voice on the show more than once. And we're going to do that again this year. I can't wait to get Bradley back on the microphone because he's hilarious and my favorite little chaos gremlin. But he was six when I started the process of writing this book. And as we were going through the process of trying to figure out who, what age group it was for, uh, it was really for like eight to 10, eight to 12 year olds. So sort of what third through fifth grade, third through sixth grade, somewhere in there, these middle readers, um, older elementary students. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, you know, he's going to be in this target market Really, by the time the book comes out, he's eight now. He just turned eight. And he's always been a good reader. and He's a great reader now. And I was like, how cool would it be for at the age that he is, if I get to write a book for him? And I'm going to, ooh, I might get emotional during this. I'm going to try not to. Um, because he's such a smart kid and he's so curious and he loves plants and he loves animals and he loves nature. And I thought, what a cool opportunity for me personally just as a, a father and a scientist and a science communicator to get to talk directly to my own kid um, through the process or in the process of writing a book for other people's kids, for kids that literally around the world now. Um, and I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we went through this process. They had a few of the sort of topics picked for the book already because they had to sell the book. And they were looking again to contract with me as an author and then a separate illustrator, which by the way, Brian Lambert, uh, fantastic. Our, our illustrator was so good for this. I cannot say enough about Brian. And uh, if you're watching online, you'll get to see um, some pictures from the book. And hopefully if you have the book, if you don't have the book, you can get the book. We'll talk about that later. Um, and so the way it kind of worked is this was not a chapter-based book. It didn't have like set sections. We wanted to talk about cool advancements in science. Things that are happening now, things that have happened in the past with the planet, with scientific advancement, but also where we were headed, you know, in the future with plant science. So we picked about 30 different topics. This book's about 80 pages long, give or take. We picked like 30 topics 
And each of those topics gets like two pages. So it's a little bit more than that. There's some, you know, early material and end material, maybe 33 topics. And each one of them is fairly short, but they're intended to get kids interested in science, get kids interested in plant science and things like, um, can spinach send emails? And if you hear these sounds in the mic, I'm sort of flipping through the book a little bit. Um, but just a few of the topics we covered, we talked about some of the challenges that we're facing as a species. We talked about what it means to grow plants and for plants to grow in a hotter climate. We talked about what we called super plants and picked a few super plants like bananas and aloe vera and a few others. We talked about plants that can glow in the dark and plants that can produce electricity for our cities. Uh, we talked about living bridges and greener cities and what growing plants for pollinators might look like and the value of prairies and all these different things. And they're all just short little bites that are not extensive and they're by design, not extensive because we didn't want this to be a textbook, right? I did not want this to be a textbook. I get enough textbooks in my life. I wanted it to be something that gets kids and readers excited about some of the topics so they can go do their own inquiry so they can uh, look into it more, so they can go to the library and check out a book about um, ficus trees and, and living bridges or go find articles on it or uh, talk about how plants can clean the air. It's just supposed to be a jumping point and an overview of some of the things that are happening in the world of plants. My wife, Alana, um, for a long time, was a, an education director at um, our local science museum, and she actually retired we're going to say retired this summer um, to be able to spend more time with Bradley and pursue some different things. And that's been awesome. But one of my favorite stories she tells is about this dad who would come in with his daughter uh, to the museum. And every time they would come in, they would be sort of sort of after something else. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but this little girl would be pursuing a new area of interest and uh, Alana got to talking to this dad and he said, yeah, she gets excited about say physics or astronomy and they'll go to the library and check out a book or a couple of books about physics and astronomy and they will uh, deep dive into it for a while, right? They will learn what there is to learn about it. And then when she's interested in something new, they go find that new thing to dive into. And I, I think about that a lot in the way that we chase our interests as people, as scientists, as people who want to learn about the world around us. Because I think we silo ourselves a lot and it's like, this is the thing I have to do. And I have to learn about this and it's the only thing I can learn about uh, forever and I'm gonna spend 30 years in school. Um, these are you know, where my scars live, you can tell, <laughs> studying them and figuring them out. When really it's like, oh, this thing's cool this week. What if I spend a week learning about this? And the next week, this thing's cool. And then eventually we drill down into what our interests are and where we're passionate and what we want to chase after in our lives. So as I wrote this book, I was thinking about this little girl who I've never met, this dad who I've never met, uh, but who through Alana made such a big impact on my life. Because I want that kid to be able to be like, oh, you know what? I think it's so cool that we can build buildings out of wood. I'm going to go study that for a few weeks. I think it's amazing that we can propagate plants by taking cuttings of them. I'm going to go take some cuttings from my yard and propagate plants for a week or two. I want that kid 
to have some new ideas. And I want them to find things to dive into and to learn more about. And so if this one book is all they ever read about plants, that's cool too. I hope that they get a lot out of it. But I hope that this book is the first of dozens or hundreds of books and articles and pieces of information and classes and a lifetime of learning in the plant sciences that, that a lot of kids get. That's my goal. That's why I wrote this. That's why I said yes to this. Um, and it's been so much fun. It's been so much fun. This was like a year long process. I thought I'd talk a little bit more about, um, the publishing side of it, kind of what we did and what that looked like, um, where some of the ideas came from. And then uh, I actually, after the break, want to read a couple of excerpts of this to you in case you're interested. Okay. And, uh, so we'll talk now, I think about, the publication process and the ideas for this book. So like I mentioned, they contacted me and this was not a traditional, maybe publishing relationship. This was more of a freelance, like contract style uh, publishing relationship, which I was cool with. I think that that's not a bad way to approach it. I was a first time author. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing and it kind of takes some of the pressure out that if it does really well, great. That's awesome. It's good for everyone. If it, flops, then I still kind of get a lot out of it and get the experience you paid something for it. And that was cool. And, uh, so we went through the, the year of sort of the writing process. I think I started writing in March of 2022 and the final draft was due in like November. So not quite a year, but I think before like a final product was done, it took about a year and it came out uh, July 11th, 2023, a week or so after my birthday, which was kind of a cool birthday present. I got to do a book signing. Y'all, I got to do a book launch. Who gets to do that? Whose life is this? I think that was so cool. So a local bookstore hosted us for a book signing when the the book came out. And that was just one of the coolest experiences. One of the coolest things. Um, But we went through this process. We, uh, it was interesting because they had the idea for the book. They had the title for the book, Plants to the Rescue. And the general concept of we want to do little bites of scientific things um, that will kind of make this larger story about plant science. And they, like I said, written the first couple or come up with the first couple topics. But beyond that, they were like, okay, go, you know, we need this many pages. We need this many additional topics. Uh, Let's figure it out. Let's. And so I, so I came up with a list and I got the topics for one by talking to Bradley about maybe things he thought was interesting. I, went through popular science magazines and like current news and plant science. And I even read some um, interesting publications on like speculative plant science. Um, But I also started thinking about as someone who teaches college students, intro horticulture students, what questions do they ask at 18, 19, whatever years old, what do they think is interesting? What questions do they have about plant science? What are the little like factoids that stick with them? I was like, oh, I've got limitless content, (laughs) limitless content. And so not everything worked. Obviously, there were some things that didn't quite fit the brief well enough. And uh, maybe we had to pivot on some things. But so many of the ideas for this book and a lot of the discussion points came directly from one, talking to Bradley, doing research on my own online, but just questions that I was asked by my students. And okay, if these 18, 19 year olds had seen this for the first time in the third grade at nine, 10 years old, what would that have meant for the course of their studies in their life? Would they have like grabbed onto one of these things as a kid and been more of a sort of plant and nature conscious young adult? 
and those were my thoughts as we formed some of these topics. And, um, you know, again, going back and forth, all of that, we figured out, okay, these are our topics. We organized and reorganized and reorganized them over and over. Um, and, and I saw a review of the book, which I don't know, uh, the reception has been really good. People have been very, very kind about plates to the rescue online and everywhere else. But I saw a review from a, so I guess professional or, um, sort of bigger name book reviewer that said like the content's good. It's very hopeful, all that, but it's sort of like scattershot. It jumps around a lot. It, it does. And again, sort of by design, we didn't, um, format this in chapters or anything. It's just all these different topics we we're talking about. And this is, if you actually look at this book, it's just kind of a good or scarier something picture of how my brain works for better or worse. And so, uh, that's sort of how it was formed. And, you know, we went through the process. I turned in my final draft, I think November of 2022. Um, oh, one thing I was uh, going to say too, is that in the process, all the artwork in that you'll see in the book, all the illustrations and I'll uh, hold this up for the online folks and I'll uh, hopefully have some, some things that you can see on social media as well. I'm going to find a good one. Where's a really good one. I mean, they're all good. Uh, this is a cool one. So this, this chapter or this spread is called Cactus Bags, and it talks about how uh, some scientists have found ways that we can make like bioplastics out of prickly pear and other types of cactus. And these illustrations are honestly just gorgeous, just, just beautiful. And the way it sort of worked is that our illustrator, Brian, um, I gave sort of text-based, like I wrote out my ideas for what I thought the spread should look like, the artwork on the spread should look like, and maybe included some reference pictures. And then um, he came up with just the most amazing product, just something incredible. Honestly, like I envisioned how they would look in my brain and Brian just took it like 10, 20 leaps and bounds past that. I don't, I'm not creative in that way. So thinking about how to take like words on a page to like gorgeous uh, illustrations is so foreign to me. And I'm so impressed. And one thing you'll notice as you, um, read through this book and look at the illustrations is how diverse it is. It represents a ton of cultures and peoples and um, it shows uh, folks with disabilities. It shows um, mixed and blended families. It shows all kinds of things that are such cool representations of how our world is. And I think there are so many kids that could see themselves in this book because they'll see a piece of artwork in here. Like, oh, that looks like me and my family. And I love that that I, I am as proud of that in this final product as I am probably in my own writing and Brian's incredible work of turning this into something beautiful and fun and accessible is just, I, I cannot say enough about that. Cannot say enough about that. It's just, just incredible. Um, and then we went back and forth. I started to be able to promote the book, I believe in March of 2023. So uh, I started talking about the book on social media. We did pre-orders. We did all that. It finally launched on July 11th. And like I said, I got to do a book signing. And then I got to do like a virtual book signing and seminar through a, a bookstore in New York City as well called Books of Wonder. And the bookstore here locally that I worked with was called Books of, um, Second Chance Books. And both of them were just so wonderful. It was so wonderful. And it's, I've had some cool opportunities to talk about the books on, on the book on podcasts and on social media and different things. But I realized that 
Again, I have not done an episode of the show since this book came out. I know I talked about it a little bit before the break, or my big long break, hiatus, whatever you want to call it, hibernation, um, but never really in a lot of detail. So again, I wanted to do a whole episode on this, and I will say that working with Neon Squid was an absolute dream come true for a first-time author. Uh, they were kind and flexible and generous with feedback and ideas and um they have been rock stars in terms of the whole publication process, the promotion of the book, just supporting me as an author and as a first-time author and as a scientist and everything else. Just just really wonderful. Really, really genuinely so wonderful. Can't say enough about them. And um, also, Neon Squids is an imprint or a, a subsidiary of Macmillan Kids International. Macmillan Books is one of the biggest publishers in the world. And, and the publication team from Macmillan as well that worked with us to promote the book and set up the book signings and things like that. Just, again, I, I'm new to publishing. I've got maybe some more things coming out in the future. Stay tuned. I've got some ideas and some feelers out for stuff, but I don't know what the publication process is normally like. I, I hear mixed things and some horror stories and some really good stories, but I have to say that my experience start to finish was fabulous. Couldn't have been better. I, I'm so happy to have been a part of it. So happy to be been a part of it. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll go to a mid-roll. I'll say some different words at you. It's still just me. There's no guests this week. And then I want to read a couple of excerpts from the book, a couple of different spreads. Um, and I want to talk about the future of planthropology just a little bit before we wrap up. And I'll tell you about some of the upcoming guests. I want to keep some of it sort of a secret, um, but I'm really excited about some of the interviews I've got lined up. And, and then uh, we'll go from there. So let's take a break and I'll be right back. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll, my friends. I haven't gotten to do that creepy voice in a while and it brought me a little bit of joy. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, not too much to cover today at the mid-roll. Find me on social media. I am Planthropology Pod on Instagram, Planthropology underscore on whatever it is that Twitter is now. X, I guess I'm not on there very much anymore. Planthropology on Facebook. Um, I am also the Plant Prof. And I've done started doing since the last time we met uh, or spoke a lot more with my Plant Prof outlets. So Instagram, YouTube, um, TikTok, others. I, you can find me as well as the plant prof. If you want to send me an email, you've got tips for the show, ideas for future topics or guests or whatever else, you can reach out to me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. I was going to tell you that you can go to planthropologypod.com and find all things planthropology, including old episodes and merch and everything else. But in the six months of out of sight, out of mind, I had with the podcast. I apparently forgot to change my billing info with my website host. And so now if you go to planthropologypod.com, it is an Indonesian gambling website. Which is less than ideal, right? Yeah, not great. So I'm thinking about ways to approach that. I don't want to have to go pay an Indonesian gambling website to get my domain back. So probably what I'm going to do is I'm working on my uh, personal professional website, vikrambaliga.com, and it'll probably be a slash planthropology where you can find all of those things and merch and stuff like that. Stay tuned. 
For now, just go hit me up on social media or send me an email. You can subscribe to Planthropology anywhere you like to get your podcasts. Uh, now, I guess, including YouTube, assuming that this video thing works. I'm trying very hard and I'm being very awkward and you probably can't hear it in my voice, but you can see it in my face. So yay for that. Uh, thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for continuing to support the show. Thanks to the Davis College of Agricultural Science and Natural Resources for also doing likewise. I've got some great guests from my college and from my department coming on the show over the spring and the summer. And uh, thanks to you most of all for listening and for sticking with me and for being my friends and for the great engagement and conversation and all the love you've shown me over the past four years and change. Um, y'all, it has meant the world to me. And I mean that more than I can tell you. And, uh, just thanks for being a part of it. So uh, I'll stop rambling about that. We will listen to some more music for just a second. And then we'll be back with a couple of readings from the book. Okie dokie, we are back. So I picked three spreads from the book or three topics from the book to read. And I'll tell you why I picked them as, as I do. And I don't know exactly how to facilitate this because the way that this is, is format is it's not just like a block of text. There's little text blocks. And again, if you're watching this clip somewhere, if you're watching online, uh, you can kind of see that there's just areas of text, but I think it'll still read okay in this venue. And um, if you want to see some of the images, all I'll probably do is in the show notes or in the blog post that goes with this episode, I'll just take pictures of the spreads. So you can look at them and sort of follow along if you'd like. I will give you a second. Okay, good enough. So the first one that I'm going to read is called Spinach Emails. Spinach Emails. And the reason I wanted to read this one is because when Neon Squid reached out to me about writing for them, they wanted a writing sample. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do that. So they asked for like 250 words or something on a topic that would be fun for kids. And I had just read an article on this. And so what you read here, it's changed a little bit from the uh, original form. Um, but this is the actual pitch uh, or, or writing sample I sent into Neon Squid to get approved to write this book. So that was kind of cool. So spinach emails. Um, and if you can see this, there's a picture of spinach. It says spinach emails and there's little envelopes like they're sending emails. So Scientists at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, have created spinach that can send emails. You read that right. This, of course, leads us to two important questions. How and why? The answers are all to do with the spinach plant's roots. And it says spinach roots are very sensitive to their environment. It shows roots from a spinach plant establishing out through the soil. The root of the problem. Spinach plants grow big root systems. These roots spend their time exploring the soil, looking for water and nutrients to help them grow. Turns out they can find many other things than that as well. Things that can teach us more about their environment too. From microorganisms to harmful chemicals, spinach roots can provide us with lots of information. Uh, nanotechnology, by the way, is defined as the science of really tiny things. So nanotubes are used to make most of the information spinach roots can provide. Scientists had to figure out a way of getting inside spinach plants with their technology. And the way they did it was by implanting tiny carbon nanotubules inside of the leaves. And it's kind of, it's hard to see, 
but there's a very happy little spinach right there. See, very happy little spinach. Okay. Um, there's a message from spinach that says spinach. Something here you should see, guys. And then scientists say, nice work, Agent Spinach. And there's a bunch of emails from spinach that say, from spinach, pollution detected. From spinach, all clear today. From spinach, worm problems. From cabbage, we need to talk. If you ever get a email from your cabbage that says we need to talk, you should be concerned. Those conversations never go well, especially with cabbage. They're infamous for really hard conversations. And then another section says, you've got mail. When the spinach plants pull up water with toxins or other harmful chemicals dissolved in it, the tube sends signals back to a monitor that emails the information back to scientists. This technology could be used to record changes in the soil, warning us about pollution, climate change, and other problems. At this moment in time, the technology isn't being in the, used in the real world, only in research settings, but give it time. And then these scientists are high-fiving, and everyone's very happy. I would be very happy, too, if my spinach sent me an email. Again, I would be concerned if I got a cryptically worded we-need-to-talk email from my cabbage. Okay. Another one that I was very excited about that I really like, this is some of the, my favorite artwork in the book, actually, uh, is glow-in-the-dark plants. So, again, glow-in-the-dark plants. And it shows uh, a variety of different house plants and some other things, basil and watercress and a few other things that are glowy. And there's a squid that is also glowy and a firefly who, yep, you guessed it, glowy. And in the top right corner, there is a woman reading a book by plant light. So glow in the dark plants. We've all used bedside lamps and night lights, but what if you could be reading this book by plant light? Scientists have discovered they can make plants glow in the dark. How it works. To make a plant grow, scientists inject its leaves with nanoparticles that can absorb light energy and release it slowly at night. In the future, genes from glowing animals could be added to plants so they would be able to naturally grow. Bioluminescence is lots of fun. There's a whole Nature Cat song about it. You should look it up. It's very good. What a bright idea. Scientists have managed to make water crest glow as well as basil. So what's the point? Glowing plants may sound silly, but they can have a huge impact. Electric lights use a lot of energy, and they can mess with animals that navigate by starlight or the dark to hunt. Imagine roads lined with glowing trees, bright enough to see where you're going, but soft enough to be wildlife friendly. Also, how cool would it be if your favorite houseplant was also your lamp? I think that would be very cool. I might take better care of my favorite houseplants. I'm not a good houseplant caretaker. I don't know if I should admit that to y'all. But it's the truth. I kill a lot of houseplants. I'm not, I'm not good at it. Um, glowing in nature. Plenty of things in nature already glow. This is called bioluminescence, and it's caused by chemical reactions. Deep-sea squid and anglerfish use their ability to glow uh, to hunt in the dark, while fireflies light themselves up to attract mates. By studying these animals, scientists have a better idea of how to make plants grow. And this is scientists from, the, from MIT made plants that glow for more than an hour. That's pretty cool. If you look this up and read into it a little bit more, you'll see that they didn't glow for very brightly for an hour, but the fact that we can make a plant glow for a full hour, that's incredible to me. That's so cool. Uh, they don't normally do that. If you didn't know, if you weren't aware, if you don't spend a lot of time around plants at night, they typically don't glow. 
And the last spread I want to read to you is called Save the Prairies. Okay. And I, I like this one because I live on a prairie. Um, West Texas, where I live, is native short grass prairie. So, yes, if you walked around where I live today, it's a lot of agricultural land and cotton fields and pastures and things like that. But if you were to go back even a couple of hundred years, this was all short to medium grass prairie. Um, one to three to five foot tall grass about as far as you can see. Really an endless sea of foliage and there were natural springs and there were large animals and prairies are so important to me personally because I think it's just one of the coolest ecosystems out there. But on a grander scale, to us as a global ecosystem, as a planet, we really need prairies. And so this spread is called Save the Prairies. And I love this artwork, too. It shows a prairie with bison and uh, a number of wildflowers and bumblebees and all kinds of other things. And it's really cool. And by the way, if you're in a Vernon National Park, don't pet the fluffy cows. A bison, however big you think a bison is, you're wrong. I promise they are twice the size that you think they are. If you've never seen one in person, I, an unimaginably large beef, right? Big animal. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Save the prairies. Prairies are unique ecosystems made up mostly of grasses. They also contain a huge mix of flowers, shrubs, herbs, and other plants Though you normally won't see many trees. When we talk about ways to fight climate change, prairies often don't come into the conversation but they're incredibly important. As prairie plants grow, die, and decompose year after year, they feed and shelter wildlife, take CO2 out of the atmosphere, and add nutrients back into the ground. If we take care of them, these amazing ecosystems can help us save the world. Globally, prairies trap about as much carbon and produce as much oxygen as all the trees. And then it shows a picture of a non-native prairie grass or like a landscape grass with a short little root system and then a picture of a native prairie grass that has a deep, powerful, um, far-reaching root system, which, by the way, this is an aside, but that's really important. You want It creates root channels for water to get down into and adds nitrogen to the soil, all kinds of things. Anyway, home on the prairie. Prairies are homes to many different animals. It's common to find hundreds of different insects, rodents, birds, lizards, and even big mammals such as bison and antelope. The rich diversity of plants provide food for the big animals and plenty of places to, leave, to live, hide, and hunt for the small ones. Medicinal plants. Many med medicines we use today come from plants that live in the world's prairies. The grasses, flowers, and shrubs of these incredible places are extremely valuable to our health. From echinacea that boosts our immune systems and helps us keep from getting sick to yarrow that can help to treat wounds. Native plants are those that naturally live in an area or country. They tend to be well-suited to the environment and can grow and thrive with very little care, often sending roots farther down into the ground and producing bigger plants than non-native species. And then finally, there's a tiny little section on prairie-style gardening. Although city landscapes are not natural, there are many things we can do to make them more environmentally friendly. Picking prairie plants that are well-adapted to your climate means they require less watering and fertilizer. Plus, you don't need to use pesticides because the plants will attract bugs and birds that will take care of the pests for you. So this is an appeal along with um, a couple of future sections in the book to use native plants and pollinator-friendly plants. But those are just a couple of sections I thought that it'd be fun to talk about on this podcast and read to you. And again, if you look at the cover of this book, like it's just, it's just so pretty. It's so pretty. And I know I'm biased, but it's so pretty. And as I was trying to decide which... Um, 
spreads to read to you today, it was a little bit like trying to pick a favorite child. For me, that's easy because I only have the one. But I imagine if you had multiple children, you're not really supposed to have a favorite. But the three I read, I think, mean a lot to me for a variety of reasons that I explained a little bit. But all of them, I think, are such good information. It was a lot of fun to write. And I hope it's something that if you have bought it, uh, that you and your family are enjoying. I've had some wonderfully kind feedback from friends and even people I've never met, uh, uh, internet acquaintances, people I'm not connected to directly in any way that have said just the most wonderful things about the book. Um, a couple of things about it, if you'd like to pick up a copy of the book, it's available on Barnes Noble and Books of Wonder and Amazon and pretty much everywhere online, and you're welcome to go pick it up there. I'm working on um, getting set up so that I can directly sell signed copies of the book, if you would like that, along with maybe some Planthropology stickers and some other other swag to go along with it. Uh, I'm not quite done with that. I'm hoping to get that set up over the next two or three weeks, and I'll let you all know um, how and where you can purchase a signed copy directly from me when that gets sorted out. Uh, but if you want to buy it before that, by all means, please go um, to a local bookstore and request it or check out an online bookseller, Amazon, or anything else. It's available. I believe right now it's on sale for about $14, something like that. And um, again, I I hope that it's something that if you do buy it, and no pressure to buy it, I, please don't misunderstand me. Like I would love for this to be on your bookshelf at home, but I just also am so appreciative that you listened to me talk about it for the last, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, 40 minutes or so. So again, Plants of the Rescue out for the past six months. It's available everywhere, and I hope that it's something that you will add to your bookshelf if you think that it's something that you and your family would enjoy. And do go pick it up uh, one of these days. Uh, let me know what you think. Send me some feedback. Email it to me or review it online somewhere or post a picture on social media. Uh, it would mean a lot just for helping promote the book and just letting me know that maybe I hit the mark or even if I missed the mark in, in some places. I would love to know your thoughts. Finally, as we wrap up um, here in the last couple of minutes, I just want to talk about the future of anthropology because this is, again, something that's very important to me. And as far as I'm concerned, we're back at it. Uh, it is likely never going to be a weekly podcast again. That just really got to be a lot for me. And with all my other teaching responsibilities and things and my role here at Texas Tech has changed a little bit. Um, you'll know if you're a longtime supporter of the show or a friend of the show that uh, I have for for many years ran the greenhouse and horticultural gardens on campus as well as teaching. And I've actually hired a new greenhouse manager to take over the day-to-day -day at the greenhouse and gardens. I am still overseeing there. I'm still very involved there, but I've sort of stepped out of that role and I've turned it over and I'm into full-time more or less teaching now. So I'm still teaching intro horticulture but I'll also be teaching uh, sustainable vegetable production starting in the fall as well as some other stuff. So there's some other content that will come from that as well. Um, but as part of this, uh, I'm probably going to try to release an episode every other week. So, you know, 25 episodes a year, something like that, 26 episodes a year. There may be times when there's extra content that I put out, so it may be closer to 30. Uh, but through 2024, I'm going to commit to doing at least every other week. And I've got some really cool interviews lined up from... Uh, faculty that I work with in viticulture and enology, in weed management, in communications, and um, other things in the green sciences. I have a super exciting interview with a guest I've been trying to get on the show for like two years, and I, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but she is a 
top-notch climate scientist, communicator, and one of just the nicest people, I think, out there. Um, I'm talking to someone later this week who has been working to produce a gardening video game and all kinds of stuff, uh, award-winning florist. And uh, some of the other folks from sort of the podcast, the nature podcast universe will be uh, popping up throughout the next few months of Planthropology. So really good stuff coming up. Um, If you've been enjoying the show, if you're just discovering the show and you think you like what you hear, uh, go drop me a rating and review wherever you can, whether that is on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts, anywhere in between. Um, Let me know what you think. Again, send me an email at planthropologypod at gmail.com. Connect via Planthropology or the Plant Prof online. uh, And just just be involved. Uh, I am so grateful to you for, again, engaging with the show for listening to the show and just being a part of what we're doing here at Planthropology. So um, it's good to be with you again. It's good to be back at it. You know, I love you. Keep being kind. If you have not been kind to date, maybe give that a shot. It's pretty cool. Keep being the coolest plant people I know. And I will talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.